0: has told us, missed opportunities. The story of this episode when Esav transferred the Bechorah to Yaakov is exceptional. If you look elsewhere in the Torah, you see that so many pratim, so many details are usually not given. Large portions of the lives of the great men are not related to us at all. Avraham's first 70 years, we know nothing about them. Of Moshe Rabbeinu's first 80 years, we know nothing And here the Torah gives details and more details. And therefore we understand that we are expected to derive important information from the story here. Stories in the Torah are not told to entertain us. They're told to teach us. Now I am not the one who is capable of discovering the lessons. I'm sure there is a great deal that can be said on this subject. I imagine that entire chiburim could be composed on the transaction between the two brothers. I'm not the one to take on that big job, but right now we are going to talk about one detail of the story that is a chibur in itself. First, an introduction. The Chachamim in Baba Basra. Chameh Shavedos avar Esav harasha beoy yom. On that day that Esav sold the birthright, he committed five sins. The Gemara there enumerates five serious transgressions that we blame Esav for. That's how he received that unfortunate title of Esav Harasha, an example: Ba'al al nara ha Esav committed adultery with somebody who was already mikudeshas. Me'urasah means she has accepted kedushin from another man, which means she is an aishas ish. The Torah law of anara ha is that both she and the adulterer deserve Sekilah. and so that certainly is a serious accusation made against Esav. Now Tosfos there the Sakasha on this accusation. How could that be, he says? There is no such thing as Kedushin before Matantora. Before the Torah was given, a man did not acquire a wife by a transaction, what we call a Kinyon. Before Matantora, a marriage could only happen if he took her as his wife and they were together as man and wife. That made her his wife. But na'ara Urasa means That there was nothing but an act of Kidushin, Which meant nothing in those days So what do you mean to say that Esav committed adultery With a na'ara Urasa? It's impossible That's Tosfos Kasha Now, Tosfos is not interested in looking for Zuchuyos to defend Esav But what could he do? He's trying to understand the plain perish Of the words of our sages And he knows that there's no such thing as erusin by Ben-Noach and therefore, Tosfos explains That it wasn't actually anara It was a woman who had promised Her troth to another man She had given her word That she would go to marry another man And then, Esav went ahead And he married her Imagine a boy from Lakewood met a girl Who had already promised to marry a fellow Let's say, from Stolen And he sees that she's a fine girl A good catch, And so he tells her, Stolen? Marry me and you'll be in Lakewood. So she consented. She reconsidered and decided that Lakewood is where she wants to be. And she marries the Lakewooder. Would anybody say that he was a Baal Na'ra Her commitment to the Stolener was nothing. There was no Kedushin, nothing at all. Maybe it wasn't ethical to dissuade her from marrying the man that she had committed to. But that's all it is. It could be the Stoliner Rebbe would have a taina. But it's fair competition. After all, he didn't force her. She consented to give up the first one and take the second one. And so there's absolutely nothing at all resembling a sin of adultery. And yet, for that same thing, Esav is blamed. Another example of Esav's sins. Number two on the list is Harag Et HaNefesh. Esav murdered somebody. But whom did Esav kill? The Chachamim tell us that Esav slew Nimrod. Nimrod! Nimrod! Nimrod had attempted to destroy Avram Avinu, Aesop's grandfather. Nimrod was a real Russia, the one who caused the world to get up in rebellion against HaKadosh Baruch So it was a mitzvah to get rid of him. ubi hara mikirbecha. We're obligated to rid the world of wickedness. If somebody had killed Hitler, and he had come, let's say, subsequently to America, he would receive an ovation. He would have received the Presidential Medal of Honor. That's not important today. Today they'll give that reward to every low fellow, to terrorists. But in the olden days, you had to deserve an award like that. And he would have to receive a ticker tape parade too. Thousands of people would line the streets to celebrate the death of Hitler. Not only from the masses in the streets would this murderer gain recognition. I'm sure all the Rabanim and all the Rosh yeshiva would honor him for killing Hitler. A mitzvah Rabbah. I remember when General Pershing came back. When Pershing came back from France after World War I, they showered him with flowers. They were so happy they didn't know what to do for him. And so, of you younger fellows, maybe you remember Eisenhower when he returned after World War II. People went wild over him. And so we are blaming Aesop for bloodshed. But actually, he deserves medals. In our society, Esav would have gone down Broadway in an open limousine and he would have been showered with flowers for killing Nimrod. And here, poor Esav, his reputation is blackened. As if he did some sin. But the answer is, HaKadosh Baruch Hu judges a man by his motives. If Esav had killed Nimrod purely out of the honor for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's one thing. But Esav, when he was doing it, he was getting some satisfaction out of the act. He gained pleasure from the bloodshed. And that's how HaKadosh Baruch judged him. Now to us, nowadays, who would stop to examine the motives? Let's say some mean fellow, even a convicted murderer, would have sneaked into Germany and would have killed Hitler. We would forget all of his past. And if he did it because of a bloodlust, so what? We would forgive everything. But that's because we don't examine motives. But when it comes to great people, when it comes to a son of Yitzchak and Rivka, much more is expected. And Hashem does examine. For a son of other parents, there would have been nothing to criticize. But for a son of such great people, Nevi'im, everything is expected. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu expected Esav, a very great perfection. And therefore, when Esav is judged, it's only on the basis of his thoughts, not because of his acts. And the things that Esav is criticized for, we wouldn't have found fault in him. Like it states elsewhere about certain kings. Vayaz harab Ene Hashem. He did what was evil in the eyes of Hashem, not our eyes we wouldn't have seen what to criticize. But in the eyes of Hashem, there was something there. Whenever that's written, it doesn't mean it was what we would consider bad at all. Only that a Melech, who was over the Am Yisroel, much more should have been achieved by him, much more shleimus, much greater perfection. And therefore, what is said Vayas harab be'enei Hashem is a rare kind of criticism. Of course, it was criticism that's approachable by us. Even we could understand it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been written. But you must understand it's not what we would have criticized. And what you just heard is klal Guddel, a great principle in understanding Tanakh. These kings were not as bad as they are made to appear. And surely when the Chachamim report about the terrible deeds that they did in private, you must understand that it's not Kibshuto. Whatever is said, you have to understand it is a different sense. They're being criticized only according to what they should have been. And the same thing is when they report about Esau being and It's on an entirely different level that Esau is being criticized. Not on our level, but on the level of a son of Yitzchak and Rivka. And only according to the expectations was he criticized. And the other sins mentioned there too. We'll understand it in the same way. If you look at the other accusations, whatever they are, we have to understand them all in the same sense of these criticisms. Now, that explains why these sins are not written in the Torah at all. You might find a remez in Midrashim, some hint, but in the Chumash, such a thing is not mentioned at all. And that's because the Torah would be untruthful in leveling such a criticism that people couldn't understand or would misunderstand. And although in the Beis Din Shel Mala, when Esav is being judged, so our Chachamim were allowed to take a look and see what went on. And they reported to us that this was considered an accusation. But down below, it's too much for people to be told. And therefore, it's not in the Torah. However, of the five sins of which asaph is accused, one of them is written befedush in the Torah. It's stated as openly as could be, and it's written Ba'arichus, at length, in detail. And that is, Shat et habichora. He scorned the birthright. That's one of Esav's five sins. And the Torah says it openly. Ve'yivez Esav es ha-bichora. Esav scorned his birthright. It couldn't be more open than that. And about this sin, the Torah tells the story because it's the most important lesson for us. Now the truth is that even this avera, it's not so simple to discover what was so bad. So he scorned the bichoyda. What about it? Actually, if people in that time would have read this Parsha and they wouldn't have seen the last sentence, they would have said, Esav, that's a kaddush. a man who runs away from glory. He gives up covet." Don't we know Yehuda ben Tabai did the same thing in Yerushalmi Chagiga? When they wanted to make him the Nasi, so he ran away. They wanted to make him Av Bastian, so he ran away to Mitzrayim. And it's considered a shvach. He's praised for that. And so asaph would have been praised by the people. asaph's words would have been a model for us. I'm going to die one day. Those are the words that Sadikim say. This world is only a temporary place. We're going to leave this world one day. And so what does glory in this world mean anyhow? If people would have heard that, they would have admired asaph no end. And I'm sure that asaph admired him to no end for that. I'm sure he always looked back and congratulated himself. He didn't say those words, Vayivez, esa He said everything up to that. Only that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu dictated the Torah to Moish Beinu, he told him to add these words because that's the maskana, the conclusion of the whole story. He scorned the birthright. That's the punchline of the whole story. So the question is, My kamash milan, what's the purpose of telling us that? We don't get the punchline. What's the sin that we're supposed to see over there? So what if he scorned the Bechoyedah? It's an important question, by the way. Because the better we understand what the sin was, the better we will grab a practical lesson for ourselves from this Torah story. Now you have to understand that the Bechoyedah meant opportunity. It was opportunity to serve Hashem, because in those days, the firstborn officiated at the Mizbeach, at the bama. Every family had its Mizbeach where they served Hashem, and the Bechor was the one who led the way. The Bechor in those days became the teacher of the family. He was like the priest, the Kohen of the family. But asaph was thinking, am I going to be tied down to a Mizbeach? Amizbeach requires a lot of things. You have to learn the practice of sacrifices on Amizbeach. They didn't just kill animals. Everything was done with certain time-consuming procedures, and Esav didn't want to tie himself down. I want to be a free man. I'm sure he made some good excuses for himself. I'll wander in the fields and hunt animals for my father to bring him food to eat. Kibudav. I'll look at the trees and the birds. I'll see the Niflis Habayde. Shara Bechina. There's never a shortage of excuses, especially when it comes to Avoid Sashab, and therefore it didn't bother his conscience. So Yaakov will be the Bechor. What of it? As long as the Avoida will continue, I can go into the forest to hunt. That's the sin, to squander opportunities. Opportunities to serve Hashem. And even though it might require you stay at home because they'll need you on the Mizbeach, you won't be able to go out on the trips that your heart desires. You'll have to stay at home and make something of yourself. Of course, you always have your justifications. It's Niagara Falls. It's niflis Saboide. Or it's Eretz soil Or this or that. But you're squandering your opportunities. That's the real Teirut's. Here's a justification, a man tells me why he needs to waste time traveling, but it's Eretz Yisroel, it's the kosel, so you're going to give up on your Torah learning in the evenings, your chavrusas, shiurim, to go to Eretz Yisroel, and to stand at a wall that's just a zeched of Yimeh Kedem, a remembrance of our glorious past. It's something. I'm not saying no, but that's also included in this sin of squandering opportunity to give up learning to go to the Kosel Amaravi. You want to go to the Kosel, then you should know that the Shas Bavli is your Kosel Amaravi. Make the sephorim shrank with the Shas Bavli in it, your Kosel Amaravi. That's your success. The success of life is the transferring the contents of the Shas into your mind. So stand in front of that Shas on the shelf in your living room and make that your Kosel Maravi. After you close your Gemara for the night and you put it back on the shelf, you can stand there and put Kvitlach, prayer notes, in between the Gemaras and pray to Hashem. The Shas is our everything. There's nothing in the world more Kadosh, more special to a Baruch Hu than the dalit Amos Shel Halacha. Since the Chodbun Beis Hamigdash he has nothing in the world that is more important than the Shas and our Torah Seforum. So what are you thinking? To forgo learning Torah for a cheap substitute? Now when people hear such examples, so they take me for an extremist. But that's because we don't understand the gravity of that sin of giving up opportunities. If we're going to realize how serious an accusation, how serious a sin it is, we'll have to spend a little time first on understanding what? what the word means. We spend a lot of time on Artifilis saying to Hashem, chatanu, we sinned. Again and again in Artifilis, slach avinu ki chatanu. That's what we say. And so it makes sense that we should investigate the meaning of that word. I know people think that they know most, but they are mistaken. Listen now, because you're going to hear a chidish. Hate doesn't mean what we think. To go and do a sin. It doesn't mean a positive misstep, a positive sin. What it means is the lack of achieving. That's what a chait really means. Chatanu doesn't mean we rebelled. It means we missed out. How do we know that? In the book of Shov it's describing the slingshot shooters of the Shevet Binyamin. And it states about them that, Koleya ba'even el hasara velo yachati. They could aim at the hair's breadth, yachati, and wouldn't miss. That's how expert they were. They were able to take the slingshots and sling the stones and hit the target right in the middle. They would never miss the target. Now there was no sin there, no Aveda. It was just a question of missing the target. means they wouldn't miss it. So we see that sin actually means to miss. Another example. You remember when David the Melech was on his deathbed. So his wife, Bathsheba, came to him and said, Look, you told me that you decided that Shlomo would be your successor. That he should be the next king. And here is Adoniyahu, Ben Chagis, one of your other sons. And he's right now proclaiming himself the future king. He made a great assembly of people. And he's scheming to announce himself king. ani Shlomo chata'im. And now, if you don't take quick action, then Shlomo and I will be the Chataim. Malachim. What does Chataim mean there? Not sinners. What does sinners have to do with it? It means the losers. Shlomo and I will be the ones who miss out if you don't deal with it now. You promised me that my son would be king. And if you don't stop Adoniyahu now, he will be king. And I and my son Shlomo will be the Chataim. The losers. So we're discovering now the original meaning of hate. It's something new to us, but it's the truth. Hate means to lose out, to miss out. It's not the doing wrong. It's the missed opportunity to do good. I always give one muscle. I'll say it again for the 10th time. The same muscle. You hired a man with a truck to go to Los Angeles to pick up merchandise to bring it back. So he went across the country with your truck. And now he finally came back. So you ask him, how was it? He says, the trip was excellent. He had no accidents. He didn't get a single traffic ticket. Everything was wonderful. No flat tires, nothing. An excellent trip. So you say, what about the merchandise that you were supposed to pick up? Oh, I forgot to pick up that merchandise, he says. Oh, no. What is that worth for me? I sent you to Los Angeles merely to avoid traffic tickets, to avoid accidents. So Hashem says, I sent you to this world merely to avoid Avedas. Certainly you have to avoid Avedas. When you're driving a truck, absolutely you must be aware of smash-ups. But when you come back to the boss and you forgot to deliver the goods, so the whole trip was wasted. That's what Hashem says. Where is the merchandise that you were supposed to bring back? La Shiva Marim Emet to bring back the .MS to the one who sends you, Mishlei all the mitzvahs, the accomplishments. Where are they? Naturally, if you're going to get your truck into traffic accidents, you won't be able to deliver the goods either. But we don't come to this world merely to avoid sins. And why is that? It's because if a person did Avedus, the worst that can happen to him is if he goes to Gehenim. Now, Gehenim is not a pleasure. It's not a resort. But usually, if he's a Maimin, if he believes in HaKadosh Baruch Baruchu and he believes in Matantoida, so when he goes to Gehenna, he is purified. It's a painful process. They use detergents there. It hurts terribly. But finally, he is cleansed of all of his sin. The punishment for the wicked Jews in Gehenem is 12 months. And that's all. Aduyus. After that, he comes out. And now he's ready for the great happiness of Olam Haba. To enjoy his mitzvahs, his achievements. And the reward for mitzvahs is not for 12 months. For his mitzvahs, his toida, his perfection of character, his reward is forever and ever and ever. For Avedas, there's punishment, terrible punishment, but the time comes when the punishment is finished and now he starts the happy existence in the Gan Eden where he'll be rewarded forever and ever. Now suppose that when he gets to Gan Eden, he finds that he gave up opportunities. Oh, I remember that day when I got a letter in the mail from a Talmud Chocham in a tzaddik who sits and learns all day long and he was marrying off his tenth daughter. I threw it in the wastebasket. I lost out. Or, I remember now when the rabbi was giving a lecture in the evening and I convinced myself that I was too busy to go. It's a terrible thing. Learning Torah is one of the great forms of utilizing life. You know what an opportunity it is to just learn one line of Gomorrah. To learn one line and know it well. You're saying the words of the Chazal, the words of the greatest people who came after the Nevi'im, and you're saying it, and able to repeat it, and sometimes you even know more or less the whole idea. If you say two lines, three lines, woo, you know a great whole page of Gemara. You're a millionaire. If you learn just one Ahmed Gemara, and go over it again and again, until you can run through it like Ashrei, even if you don't know the Pshat well, you just translate the words more or less, and run through it like Ashrei, it's an achievement. People keep on learning a new blot every day and the old Gemara was always too weakly learned so it becomes eradicated quickly from the mind. No, that's not the way to learn. That's not how to use the opportunity of life. You should sit in Chazer, the same Amud, again, four times. And then if you want it to be even better, talk over Baal Peh, the whole Shakla V'taria. Not every word. Talk it over Baal Peh. And so, If you have five minutes to learn, two minutes to learn, it's a tremendous opportunity. Two minutes of Torah, you'll never make it up again. And even though you'll learn hours and hours later, you'll learn for days and weeks, but those five minutes are lost. That's chatos. You missed out. And in Gan Eden, you'll break your hands with weeping. Why did I lose those five minutes? But no Teshuvah will help and no gehenim will help. Teshuva and Gehennom can't accomplish for you. It can clean you for the sin of not accomplishing, but it will never accomplish for you the opportunities that you scorned. You missed it, and you'll never get it back. That's what we learned from Esav. He made the biggest chet a person could make, the most tragic mistake of his life. Vayakam <speaking> vayelach. <in Hebrew> he picked up himself and walked away from an opportunity. Vayivez Esav Esa b'choyda. Esav scorned the b'choyda. What does it mean he scorned the Behoida? In one word, he scorned opportunity. That was the big sin, the big chatos. He threw away a tremendous opportunity to utilize this life for accomplishing in Avodah Hashem. Yaakov, on the other hand, lived for the purpose of achieving shleimus, And any opportunity that came his way, that was his Hashkafas Hachayim. Yaakov, he was always telling himself, there's so much more you can accomplish in life. Now, to study everything that Yaakov Avinu did with his life, according to his hashkafa, this attitude that life is a precious string of opportunities, that's impossible. I'm not able to explain to you the greatness of Yaakov Avinu. It's like an ant trying to measure the height of men. I wouldn't even presume to try it. I'm not capable. But our sages, they were capable. And they tell us right away about one of Yaakov Avinu's great accomplishments, he got busy making use of the opportunity to build a family, to create a nation. Neither Avraham Avinu nor Yitzchak Avinu had that zechus. The Gemara in Sanhedrin quotes a pasuk about Yaakov. Ko et asher pada et Avraham. So said Hashem about the house of Yaakov, the one who redeemed Avraham, Ishaiah. Freg the Gemara, heichan matzinu b'Yaakov shepidao pidao where did you find that Yaakov redeemed Avraham? What does that mean? And the Gemara answers: "Amara mitzar bonim. Yaakov redeemed Avraham from the difficulties of raising children. You know that for almost a hundred years Avraham was free from raising children. Why was that? Don't think it was by accident. A tragedy. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted Abraham to be a man of leisure so that he'd have the time to think. That was Abraham's special opportunity. Not to raise children, but to raise himself. Now pay attention. What do we need children for? Are we little girls that we need baby dolls, something to play with? It's irrational and it's selfish. That's what children are for. The answer is that children are given to us by Hashem as an opportunity, a responsibility. We are raising the Am Hashem, and we have no right to dodge it. Certainly you have to marry young and have as many children as you can, because that's HaKadosh Baruch Hu's command. You must do that. And as they come, and you're going crazy from even two of them, so go crazy from ten. It's a big mistake. Women think if they don't have more they won't go crazy. I've seen women who claim they are crazy from one baby. So you might as well go crazy over a lot. But suppose HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't give. So it's silly for a person to waste his life in sadness. No question. It's sad. But if that's what Hashem gave you, don't be overwhelmed by sadness. On the contrary, breathe a sigh of relief and be grateful. Now you can go ahead and do the great things in life. The Chayva says that. You hear such a thing? You should be grateful that he absolved you from the obligation of children. A woman can become very great now just because she has no children. How many women have time to read a kuzari or to read Choyves Al-Aboves? You can read it in translation too. You know how much you can transform yourself by reading Mesil Zishonim ten times. You know what it means to learn Chumash and Mishle and Koheles. It's life-changing. No question, you won't be the same woman anymore. Now mothers of families, blessed should they be with all their chores. Certainly HaKadosh Baruch Hu will reward them, but the Chayva Salavava says that if Hashem has exonerated you from those obligations, so now you can do a lot of things that people with children cannot do. And if you waste your life mourning, that shows that you don't understand the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How do you serve him? In whatever manner he requires of you. So if he deposits children on your doorstep, so that's what's required of you. And if he doesn't, so he requires other things. There are so many requirements in life that there's never any spare time the most important attitude is not to scorn whatever opportunity comes your way. Whether it's raising children, or raising somebody else's children, or by raising money for people to have children, or by raising your mind to heights of aboytus Hashem, by creating a mind filled with all the attitudes and ideals of the Torah. That's what Avraham did. He was thinking through and developing all the Yisaitis, all of the Torah truths. He was creating a Torah mind, that was going to be the foundation of the ideology of the Torah nation because he was redeemed by Yaakov from raising the nation. So his mind was at leisure to discern the hand of Hashem in nature. He saw the wonders of nature and he studied how everything has plan and purpose and how it is all for the kindliness, for the benefit of mankind. By means of utilizing the opportunity, Abraham became very, very great in Akara of HaKadosh Baruch as a source of chesed in the world. And Yitzchak, by the way, added to that. It says in the Medrash that Yitzchak added even more than Avraham Avinu. kinanas al gabe anak like a dwarf sitting on the shoulder of a giant. Avraham was the giant, but when the dwarf sits on the giant's shoulders, the dwarf is higher than the giant. And so Yitzchak had even more knowledge of these great ideas... Then Avraham Avinu, you have to know that Avraham and Yitzchak became giants in Havadah Hashem. And now Yaakov came along and he inherited all of that from them. He inherited all the philosophy, all the Torah, all the wisdom that Avraham Avinu was Mikhadesh. And now Hashem said to him, since the two of us discovered all the great secrets of life, and you are standing on their shoulders already, it worked out. All the great truths of life. Now, you get busy raising children. Take all of that ideology and make a nation from it. And so Yaakov got busy with children. What a job it was. Don't say, well, he just had 12 boys and one girl. Esav had a lot of children too. There's a big difference. Esav had children, yes. But he didn't bring them up. They grew up like bushes grow up wild. That's how they grew up. Maybe he taught them some things. I don't know, but he had already scorned the opportunity, and now it was too late for him. Yaakov, on the other hand, grabbed the opportunity. Yaakov Avinu was raising a nation, and therefore every detail mattered, and so he put his life into the boys. Now, I say Yaakov, but of course I mean base Yaakov, the house of Yaakov, like the Pasuk says. The Imaz too, Rochel and Leia, just as much. When a couple has children, and they dedicate their lives to raising them al-pitoida, it's such a tremendous achievement, and every child will someday be a grandfather of a big family. Just think what happens. If you raise up the child in the right way, he's going to be an oivid hashab. He's going to teach his children the Dera hashab. They'll continue all the traditions that we have from the kadmonim. And therefore, for a mother to raise up children, she feeds them and she has all kinds of difficulties. Illnesses and sometimes troubles. And she brings them up. She's raising them not to be Italians or Puerto Ricans. She's raising them to be the Am Hashem. It's a tremendous khus. It's an achievement that is unequaled. Nothing could be better. And the more the better. That's one of the reasons I love Williamsburg. In Williamsburg they know what it means not to scorn the opportunity to create a nation. All the houses are bursting at the seams. That's why last year, when a homeless man beat up a Jew and ran away, so the Williamsburg Jews are not fools, they couldn't appeal to the police. The police wouldn't do anything anyhow. So one or two Hasidim began to run after him, and they called to their neighbors for help. Chaps him! Catch him! Chaps him! All of a sudden, the windows and doors of the apartment buildings open up, and there are Hasidim pouring out from everywhere into the streets. Troops of Jews! Grown men, little men, fat men, skinny men, children. They're climbing down the fire escapes. They're closing their suspenders while they're climbing down. Now, such a thing wouldn't happen in East Orange or someplace where they're busy practicing birth control. Even if they would open the windows in East Orange, there's nobody to come out. One 45-year-old bachelor is living at a home by himself. Where are the troops? Nothing doing They were never brought into the world. It was an opportunity scored. Plain and simple. Birth control means It's so silly what some girls are doing today to give up a career of being a mother and say, I'll be in Manhattan. I'll have my own apartment. I'll be working in an office. I'll be an important personality on my own. It's a big Rahmanus. What are you accomplishing? At the end of your days, you'll look back and see that you were just one more cog in the industrial machine. You wasted your life. Where are all the children you could have produced? Children and grandchildren and great grandchildren. Think of all the families that would have come from you, that would have been your merit. You could have raised them, the Shem Shamayim. You would have lived a life productively in Avoidus Hashem. You scorned the opportunity to add even greater numbers to the Amis Royal to strengthen us. And to bring more Shekhinah down. That's the sin of Esav. Scorning opportunity. If you were born a girl, don't scorn that glorious birthright. Don't allow anybody to come and persuade you that there's something that's just as good. That the offices in Manhattan you'll find bigger and better. Shekhet v'chazov. There's nothing as good as being a Jewish mother. There's nothing greater than raising a big firm family. Nothing better. A woman who is busy raising children should know that she's living in a form of even better than a shiva. She's making the Bene She's producing them. And she's raising them up and feeding them. And that's the great lesson of Aivez Esabhoira. And he scorned the birthright. That was the great sin of Asav. He killed the Nimrod. Okay, it's not so bad. He convinced a girl who had already committed to someone else. Okay. It's not praiseworthy, but it's not the biggest sin. But to give up opportunity, to scorn opportunities to serve Hashem, nothing could be worse than that. The Torah is warning us, don't allow anybody, yourself included, to cheat you out of the birthright. You were born a Jew. B'nei b'choyri Yisrael, Hashem says. You, the Am Yisrael, are my firstborn. Don't allow anybody to come and persuade you that your success you'll find elsewhere. Your success is in being a frum Jew. Your success, your greatness, is in the base medrash and the synagogue, in the house raising children, in Shabbos and Yomim Tovim, in Chesed and Mitzvahs, in Shath and the Chumish and the Musafotim. Nothing is as good as being a Jew in Oyvah Hashem who accomplishes in this world. That's your birthright. That's your bichoyda. That's where all of our opportunities can be found. And we should never squander any bit of that. No matter how many pots of red lentils the outside world tries to entice us with. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Let's get practical. A life of opportunities. Yaakov Avinu was chosen over Asaf because he cherished opportunities rather than scorning it. This week I will train myself to walk in the footsteps of Yaakov Avinu. To grab as many opportunities as possible to serve Akalush Boruhu. As a reminder, every day when I dab in Shemona Esrei I will believe pause for a moment at the words Elokei Yaakov. And remember that we say those words and not Elokei Esav, because Yaakov was the one who delighted in the opportunities. And I will accept upon myself to grab whatever opportunity in Avoidas Hashem may present itself. And I will reflect on whether I missed out on any opportunities between this prayer and the last one.